You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. Well, welcome to the fourth week of the Benchwarmer series. And as Lori Lynn said, we do have a great staff. What a great honor it is to be a part of such a great team. And we, we call it the Benchwarmer series just to kind of be cute. But in, in all truth, they're all first-round draft picks. And we're just so blessed. So I'm very thankful. Well, as you know, 2024 at Mapleview is all about miracles. And if you didn't pick up on that from the four songs that we just sang, (laughs) I actually said to Ashley after the first service, I feel like I preached before I preached. Um, (laughs) Because every time I get up to worship, it's, it's more than just songs. It's, uh, and that's what worship is. It's an expression of our heart of worship and love and adoration back to our Heavenly Father. And so thank you for joining me in worship this morning. Well, we've been looking at some Old Testament miracles in particular this month. And this morning, I want to take us back to the book that Pastor Will preached from when he kicked off the Benchwarmers series several weeks ago. And that's the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can get ready in the book of Daniel. We're going to kind of fly through the first half of Daniel because I think it kind of gives you an overview of uh, some important things that are relevant for our lives today. And recently I've been studying the books of history and prophecy, and they might not be as popular for study as, say, the epistles, but I think that the reason that I love them so much and I identify with them so much is that they are stories of flawed people. And I identify with that as a flawed person myself. They're people who made mistakes, but who were given chance after chance to get it right, but who still struggle just like we all do. And it's a reminder for me that even though I fall on my face fairly regularly, physically and metaphorically, that God hasn't given up on me. I too live in a world surrounded by ungodly influences and I have to make a choice every single day, just like all of you do, to either follow the ways of the world or God's way. So I think Daniel's incredibly relevant for today. For generations, God had provided faithfully and defended his chosen people from the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea that Pastor John shared about a few weeks ago. He miraculously set them free from slavery and then from there led them through the wilderness for 40 years, providing food and water for them until they finally crossed over into the promised land. And you would think that after all of that, all of the miracles that they had seen, that they would follow God's ways with open hearts and never turn back. But we too, I think, sometimes pray, God, if I could just see a miracle with my own eyes, then I would never doubt ever again. But sadly, our sinful nature often leads us away from God's best, and we so easily forget the miraculous provision of God to go our own way. How many times have I myself prayed, God, I repent, and then found myself falling for the same temptation the very next week? Well, over the centuries, God sent prophets and teachers to constantly remind the Israelites to turn from their wicked ways and to follow God again. They were warned time and time again. But finally, the prophesied fall of Jerusalem has happened. The people of God have been decimated by the Babylonian people, and they've been sent into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is where the book of Daniel falls chronologically in the story of God's people. After that defeat, the Babylonian king ordered his court officials to select the best of the young nobility to be taken and trained to serve in his kingdom, in effect, stealing the future of the Israelite nation. 
They even went so far as to change their names. Hananiah, whose name was changed to Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. Azariah became Abednego. And Daniel, whose name became Belshazzar, which is taken from the word Bel, which is a title for one of the Babylonian gods, which essentially meant that he was a worshiper of this pagan god. Well, and you can kind of see there why Daniel didn't use that new name when he referred to himself in his own book. Because names were extremely important in this time. They, meant, they were meant to convey something about a person's identity. Well, Pastor Will introduced those first three young men that I talked about when he kicked off the Benchwarmer series a few weeks ago when he spoke about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But the other young man from that group was a man by the name of Daniel. And if you went to Sunday school, you can probably guess where we're going this morning with one of the most famous stories from the Old Testament of Daniel in the lion's den. The four young men, they would have been, scholars say, around 17 at the time of their capture. And as part of their three-year assimilation into Babylonian culture, the young men were given a special diet and training regime. It would have been very easy for them to just simply go along with the process. They were defeated people after all. They could simply say, we had to do it. We had no choice but to go along with what was expected of us. They very, could have, very easily could have adopted the when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do ideal. How often is that our excuse too for adopting the ways of the world around us instead of following God's best? If you haven't studied or read the book of Daniel before, I encourage you to do so this week because I think the life of Daniel is a great example of how to live in a culture but not be of the culture. And that's the question I want us to look at this morning. How can we as followers of Jesus live lives that honor God in the midst of a culture that so strongly pushes us against living a life pleasing to God? The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans 12. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What makes these boys stand out right from the start is that they have the courage to hold true to what they know is right, even in the face of opposition. They are the embodiment of what Paul is writing about here. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego lived with unswerving obedience. First of all, this morning, I believe they chose purpose over preference. They determined that even though they were captives in a pagan land, that they would not conform to the pattern of that place, but they would be transformed by the renewing of their minds in following God's purpose for their lives. But I think it's good to note that they didn't get really preachy and arrogant about it. No, they just asked for permission to prove that God's way was best. So they respectfully asked their overseer to allow them to show him that they would not be weaker if they followed God's diet for them. And God sees their obedience and gives them favor with this overseer who then allows them to abstain from the overindulgent diet that they've been presented with. And that's where we get the Daniel fast, if you've heard of that. And at the end of that training process, the four young men were found to be stronger and better than the ones who simply went along with the training program. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were placed in the service of the Babylonian king. And this sets them 
up to be in positions of influence in a foreign land. We can see the hand of God moving behind the scenes to set them up for some powerful testimonies of his power, that even in exile, God was preparing them for a miracle moment. Well, there are some very interesting characters in the Old Testament, and in the category of interesting characters, King Nebuchadnezzar does not disappoint. He was a wild guy. And it must have been a very challenging place to live out their faith. Many of you will remember the 10-foot styrofoam statue that we rolled out here in the fall that uh, Pastor Jay challenged me to make. And I wasn't entirely sure I could do it, but it was okay. Anyway, <laughs> the next part of that story is where we find the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has about that statue. And Pastor Jay went into great detail explaining all of the different parts of the statue and what they represent. So we're not going to get into that this morning. But it was the interpretation of that dream that really brought Daniel to the attention of the king. The king was so bothered by his dream that he declared that if his astrologers and advisors could not tell him what his dream was, first of all, he didn't even tell them what it was, they had to tell him what it was, and then what it meant that he would cut them into pieces and turn their homes into piles of rubble. Nebuchadnezzar had some anger issues. But Daniel steps in and tells the king that he personally can't interpret it, but that God can. And miraculously, God gives Daniel the interpretation, and nobody gets cut into pieces, at least on that day. But the next thing we know, Nebuchadnezzar is at it again, and he builds a statue of himself this time and tells everyone to worship him. And that's where the fiery furnace story happens in this text, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step into their part of the miracle, and God saves them from a fiery death. And it's here that we see this crazy pagan king declare, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Again, with the cutting people up, I, I don't know. But one commentary I read said this, and I thought it was very true. It says, the Jews had found it difficult enough to keep their own faith, let alone spread it to others. Only while captives in Babylon, unwillingly dragged from home, did they begin to convince others that their God deserved honor. The proclamations Nebuchadnezzar and later on in the text Darius made because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego honored God more than anything a king of Judah had done in years. How often is that true of our lives too? We can often become so entrenched in the ways of the world around us that we barely reflect Jesus. But go into a place where it's hard to follow Jesus or even illegal, and you will find the people of God standing firm in their faith, even in the face of death. So while we kind of whine about some of the persecution that we face today, the truth is, is that maybe that's what we really need to finally live out the Great Commission in our context. Well, we finally reached the climax of the story of Daniel, who scholars say likely wrote the book towards the end of his life, approximately around the age of 90. And scholars also believe that Daniel would have been around the age of 80 when he faced his epic test of faith. 
Daniel had lived in the kingdom of Babylon for about 70 years, almost his entire life, in service of several angry kings. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll notice that there are several changes in authority. The book begins with Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, but by the time we pick up the story in chapter 6, there's a media Persian king named Darius. And I think it's interesting to note that even through all of the changes of power, that God gave Daniel favor with every single one of those kings. And even into his 80s, his rise in favor and power has made him some powerful enemies because he's been given such responsibility. The choices that Daniel made throughout his time in captivity caused him to stand out. So let's pick up the story in chapter 6. So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, if you're around my age, or a little bit younger, and you grew up learning about the Bible from a tuba playing cucumber, you might have a song pop into your head when you read this passage. I know that I do. I can still see those conspiring scallions sliding across the dance floor, <laughs> singing, oh no, what we gonna do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. But um bum bum Nobody? Nobody else knows? That? Come on. John admitted to me afterwards that he knew it, even though he didn't raise his hand when I asked. But that's okay. <laughs> if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Google it this afternoon. You seriously need to watch VeggieTales, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Yes, you do. Oh, the power of a good song to keep a message in your head for years to come. But anyway... These scallions, or sorry, administrators and satraps set about to bring down Daniel. Daniel's enemies knew that he lived in such a way that his only vulnerability would be his devotion to God. Daniel's prayer life must have been well known if they decided that that was what they needed to use to bring him down. And the king falls for it, of course, because he's an arrogant king and he thinks, why shouldn't everyone worship me? I'm a good guy. And Daniel is faced with a choice much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to either go along with what everyone else is doing or to stand out. But you know what? I don't think Daniel struggled with this decision. His enemies knew that this was how they were going to trip him up. Daniel had spent 70 years in Babylon, and from the very first test, back to the food, he had determined to remain faithful to God. He had chosen a life of purpose rather than a life of preference. 
And this determination meant that prayer wasn't something he simply did when he faced a challenge in his life. No, it was his life's practice. Well, there's been a song on the radio lately, and I asked in the first service, and nobody would heard of it, but I'm guessing in this service some of you might have heard of it. It's a song by someone that I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, but I think it's incredibly relevant for our world today and probably for the church. And it says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. Anybody else heard that one on the radio lately? The first time I heard it, I thought, wow, that's a sad song. But then it dawned on me that that probably applies not just to the world, but to many of us in the church. Prayer is more a cry for help than a way of life for so many of us. So when we're faced with a challenge, we panic rather than knowing to trust. But that's not how we were designed to live. We were designed to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, living lives of purpose rather than lives of momentary convenience. And I believe as followers of Christ that we will all face at least one defining moment in our lives where we will have to make the same choice to compromise and blend in, or to take a stand. How do we live lives of holiness in our world today? First of all, we have to choose purpose over preference. And then secondly, we need to choose integrity over importance. Integrity is what we do when no one is watching. Picking it up in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home and to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Interesting. He was determined to save Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Well, a couple of years ago, I had a really cool opportunity to travel to Zimbabwe and watch lions eat. Now, that's not the reason I went to Zimbabwe. There was, that came out wrong. That was really weird. So we went there as part of a missions project. But we, as a side note, got to watch some lions eat one day. And so I learned a few things about how lions eat on this day, and I, I'm sorry, if you are squeamish, maybe don't watch, because I'm gonna show you a little video here of some lions eating. So I am just, I'm filming this, so I am right on the other side of this very not strong fence. That is like the kind of fence you would see in your backyard, but um, what they did was they put this huge pile of guts and food, and uh, it was, it was kind of nasty, if I'm being honest with you, and then they whistled, and they released the lions, and they ran, like, 
terrifyingly ran across the field, and I stood there with my phone, <laughs> and I didn't show you that clip because it's shaking too much, but they run across the field, and then they th throw themselves on top of this mass of guts and food, and then they just start to devour it. And you, you can't really see it in this video, but there's a whole bunch of other lions that are kind of back in the background. You can see one kind of rolling around back there. But there was a whole bunch of other lions that were just waiting because they knew that whoever was in charge was going to have all that he wanted first. <laughs> well, I learned a few things about how lions eat that day. First of all, lions run for their dinner rather terrifyingly. Second of all, lions don't like to share. <laughs> and third, lions will eat anything, anything. And they, we watched them eat some gross stuff. Like that wasn't just like a steak. That was like skin and hair and tails and teeth. And it was just revolting. <laughs> and the lions in the Daniel story, they would have been kept for the purpose of devouring people who disobeyed the king. They were likely mistreated, and they were definitely hungry. We know this because of what happens at the end of the story. Daniel's survival, I am here to tell you this morning, was a miracle. Daniel would have known that being thrown into the lion's den was an immediate death sentence. But his devotion to God outweighed his fears. And the text tells us that Daniel prayed three times a day. He was probably a busy guy. He had a lot of responsibilities. But he was a man who understood the value of being in God's presence. And the reason he was able to stand when the test came was because he already knew where his loyalty lay. And it was out of relationship that Daniel became a man who chose purpose over preference, integrity over importance, and finally this morning, faith over fear. Sometimes when I read this, maybe it's just me, but sometimes when I read this, I think, why didn't he just close the curtains? Nobody would have known, and he could have just prayed secretly. And that's often how we think, right? In fact, in our culture today, we aren't allowed to share our faith in our workplace. We're expected to keep it to ourselves. In today's culture, we're almost taught to hide our faith so that we don't offend anyone. Heaven forbid that we would ever make anyone feel uncomfortable by telling them the truth. Ironically, we are so tolerant of everything that we're intolerant of anyone who takes a stand. It is a challenging time to live out your faith. You are not likely to be thrown in a lion's den, but there is a very strong chance that holding on to your beliefs will get you canceled. Daniel must have known the consequences of his decision, but he decided to remain faithful. He would not trade God's presence to hold on to his worldly power. And the satraps and the rulers predicted this. He was set up. And he knew it. But he determined to stay true no matter what. He had faith to trust God's purposes, even if it meant death. I read this this week. It said, fear is the currency of the enemy, but faith is the currency of heaven. Daniel knew that what the enemy meant for evil, God could turn for good. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Unswervingly. For he who promised is faithful. And I think it's interesting here to see that the king was actually distressed by the fact that he has to follow through with his own decree. Even though he's an arrogant guy, he's distressed by it. In verse 19, it says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel's witness and lifestyle in the king's service had made such an impact that the king half expected that God would have done a miracle. Isn't that cool? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not a wound. Sounds familiar, right? Back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who didn't even smell like smoke when they came out of the fire. And having watched lions eat, I can say with confidence, the fact that Daniel didn't have a scratch on him was a miracle. God had sent an angel to close the mouths of the lion. And when you stand firm in quiet obedience, God fights for you. We sang it first thing this morning. Verse 24 says, At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den along with their families. And before they even reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and miracles in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The influence of an exile who chose purpose over preference, integrity over importance, and faith over fear influenced a pagan king in a wicked time to boldly declare to the whole known world God's power to save and his ultimate authority. People are watching your life even when you are not aware of it. And the book of Daniel is so relevant for us in that today. We too are often faced on a daily basis with the choice to conform and fit in or to take a stand. It would have been so much easier for them to just go along with whatever the Babylonians were doing. But when put to the test, they determined not to conform, to devote themselves to prayer and to give bold witness when their lives were on the line. Jesus said that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Daniel spent one night in a lion's den, but he spent 70 years in a pagan kingdom under the rule of some unstable rulers whose whims put him in danger every single day. But that was where God placed him for that time to represent him and to bring influence to a wicked place. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make it into the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. They're not directly named, but shut the mouths of lions is certainly a reference to him. King Darius is brought to faith by the miracle in the lion's den, and he sends out that amazing decree. Daniel's position was secure until the end of his life. Verse 28 says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And it was Cyrus who eventually made the decree permitting the Jews to return to Palestine. Babylonian exile had changed their residence, their names, their occupations, their language, and their food, but it could not change their character. 
Well, Jason, my husband, challenged us last week to live lives worthy of the calling that God has given us. And most of us, if asked, would raise our hands and say, yes, that's what we want. But conversely, most of us don't want to get thrown in a fiery furnace or a lion's den. But sometimes allowing, God allows challenging circumstances to happen to us as part of that calling. Often in God's economy, prisons become pulpits. Your life might be the only sermon your coworkers will ever witness. And you must determine before the test comes what your character will be, either to conform or to do it God's way. And we have to decide before the trial so that when the moment comes where we have to choose, we've already decided. Then trust God to do what we cannot, to do the miraculous, to close the mouths of the lions around you in your life, bringing glory to him through your simple act of faithful obedience because the world is watching. Let's pray. God, I thank you that even when we face challenges and trials, that you are there in the midst of it with us. And that, God, sometimes you allow challenging circumstances in our lives to set us up to bring you glory. So I pray that we would represent you well. God, I pray that we would make choices long before we face a trial, what our character will be, that we will serve you and follow you with quiet and simple obedience, no matter what. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of your great story of salvation to the world, that you want to use us to be messages of hope and life to the people around us. Help us to represent you well. Thank you, Jesus. And just with our eyes closed this morning, it is our RX4X Sunday, and so I recognize that Maybe you're here in this place this morning because someone invited you and you've been watching their life and you've noticed that there's something different there, that there is, there's something about them that makes them stand out, that makes them different and that they have a quiet assurance of hope and faith and maybe that's something that you are looking for this morning and I want to encourage you that if that is you this morning that They've invited you here because they know that nothing will change your life more than a relationship with Jesus. And if you're looking for hope and faith, then it's here in this place this morning. And so that, if that's you this morning, I don't want to leave this place without giving an opportunity for people to respond. And so if that's you this morning and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life and start that journey of faith with him this morning, then maybe just throw your hand up this morning and we'll all pray together. because almost everyone in this room at one time or another has made that decision. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. Today I turn from my sins and invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In your name, amen. Amen. You're listening to Maple View Community Church Podcast. Mm-hmm.